Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. As always, I am Zach Follador here steering this ship with my co-host, Sam Thillman. Episode 52 here tonight. We have made it a year, folks. Pretty crazy to think about that. Sam, how you doing tonight, man? Yeah, it's crazy to think about a year ago. I was a sophomore at Ball State, or just getting into my sophomore year at Ball State. It's crazy how things have happened. Crazy how things have changed, just what the world looks like now. It's it's hard to believe, but we, we made it, and yeah, we just keep the ship rolling right along. That's it. We got, we got college football about two months away here, so we got a lot to get to there. Some uh, some news to cover here. Not not a ton of news this week, but a couple of stories that we wanted to touch on real quick before we jump into a little bit of football talk. And we're also going to continue our, our Why Are You a Fan segment later as well. But uh, let's let's start out with some news here, Sam. First things first, um, more of a, you know, I don't want to call it a minor story, but but uh, kind of a footnote of something that happened this week. We had another interconference transfer with uh, with Quion Williams. Yeah, and I wouldn't call it minor of minor anything really. Quion Williams of Eastern Michigan earlier this year put his name in the transfer portal and just announced his um, decision on Twitter back in June 25th, just five days ago. He decided to go interconference, like you mentioned, to play at uh, Buffalo, which I, I'll have to admit is a pretty solid transfer. Buffalo lost probably their what top two receivers this past. Um, season to the draft I do believe so they have a lot of shoes to fill and Quion Williams who's played in this conference for quite a while now is a really nice gift for Buffalo yeah I agree with you I mean this is a guy who was uh their number three receiver last year 322 yards and two touchdowns in six games he was actually though if you go back to 2019 he was their second leading receiver he had 661 yards and six touchdowns in in uh in 13 games that year. So this is a guy, like you said, Sam, that, you know, Buffalo has a need at wide receiver, um, you know, in, in addition to some of the guys they lost to due to graduation from last year, you know, Daniel Lee uh, was a uh, entered the transfer portal just on, on uh, Thursday of last week. Um, he had, he had two, about 300 yards and a touchdown in 2019, but then he got injured last season. So it's a, uh, you know, they've, there's been so much turnover at Buffalo there this year, this off season, Sam, that, um, you know, they have a lot of holes to fill on their roster. And I think Quillen Williams, I mean, this is a guy that's proven he he's a playmaker and can proven that he can compete in the Mac and uh, there's, there's playing time to be had at Buffalo. So I can see why he ended up picking them. Yeah, no doubt. It seems as long as they keep with the RPO system with Kyle Van Trees and uh, Kevin Marks, there's going to be some shoes to fill. I mean, even with kind of, I, I don't want to say lack of production to kind of knock down what Antonio Nunn did, but kind of not the opportunities you would like to see out of Antonio Nunn. He still had 584 yards and two touchdowns. Trevor Wilson, 319 yards and three touchdowns. And obviously that was due to the run-heavy offense, but there's still clearly targets to be had, still yards to be had. And I think Quan Williams is a nice guy who was their third receiver, like you mentioned last year, saw an opportunity to be the number one guy and, and took it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, and I think he, he probably will be the, the number one guy there for, uh, for the, the bulls this season. And, you know, you got, uh, you got um, Kyle Van Trees coming back, a quarterback, a proven quarterback, and hit the ball into his hands. If if the offensive line can keep Kyle Van Trees upright, and then obviously you still got Kevin Marks there in the run game. So Buffalo still could have a dynamic offense this year uh, if, if they can get their offensive line situation figured out. And, and certainly 
Quion Williams just gives them, you know, another, another kind of uh, weapon there in their arsenal and, and someone that can kind of get down the field and, and, and spread the defense out. So we will see uh, how that pans out for Buffalo. It's uh, a little bit, you know, you got about a month until fall camp starts here. So hopefully for Quion, he can get up to campus there and get integrated into the team in time for, uh, in time for fall camp. Um, the, the big news this week, though, Sam, and something that we started talking about last week, you know, we talked last week about the Supreme Court decision that was, uh, you know, pertained to the NCAA. We mentioned how there were some states that have name, image, and likeness bills going into effect July 1st, and so the NCAA had to do something, and finally they came out here today and announced that they are going to have some, uh, some rule changes that are going to take in effect tomorrow. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, NCAA cleared the NIL name, image, and likeness deals that we've been talking about for this past season to go through starting tomorrow as we're uh, as we're recording this we're recording on Wednesday so it'll go in effect June 1st so when you'll be listening to this it'll already take an effect the day before but yeah this is big news athletes have been pushing this for a while fans have been pushing this a while not only for athletes for the NCAA video games to come back and I think yeah. this is a great thing and I think one quick distinction is we, I, I don't know if you saw in the news, Zach, about TCU being caught with um, recruiting violations. This name, image, and likeness deal does not allow universities to go out and pay players to come to their organization, rather to just get there to get paid through sponsorships and brand deals. And I'm sure universities can find loopholes like Louisville with their Adidas deal. And I'm sure there, there will be a lot of under the stuff happen, but Really, it comes down to athletes being cleared to basically profit off their name, image, likeness, branding, marketing, and whatnot. Yes, and and that is an important distinction that uh, that you just made there, Sam. Is that you know the the NCAA rules that prevent schools from paying players directly? Those rules are still there. That's that is still off limits. Um, what what they can do now, like you said, though, Sam, you know, this will allow athletes to profit, you know, they'll be able to monetize their social media accounts, they can sign autographs, um, you know, do, you know, do uh, teach camps or do individual lessons, start their own businesses, stuff like that. Things that all normal college students could already do. And there was no reason that athletes shouldn't have been able to do any of these things. I think the social media thing is going to be a big one. You know, a lot of you know, especially, you know, these division one athletes in, in, you know, the play football and basketball, you know, they, they sometimes just by, um, by nature of committing to a division one school, you know, you get thousands of followers from that fan base on Instagram, on Twitter. So I think there's a lot of, of, of money to be had there. And, you know, if, if students athletes aren't going to be able to be paid by the schools directly, which I certainly, I'm not advocating for that. I, I, I think, the scholarship is more than enough in that regard, but to be able to make them, you know, to be able to allow them to make some money outside of that from their image and their likeness and things of this nature. I think this makes a lot of sense. I think this was a long time coming. Yeah, I think it makes it. I think I'm more interested because I think obviously the big time athletes, whether I saw Graham Mertz was publishing something on social media, the Wisconsin quarterback, I think I'm more interested not to see how this affects the big time players because they're they're going to get their money, whatever the case is. I think I'm more interested to see how the the smaller schools kind of emphasize this and include this. See how this kind of trickles down to let's say a Fordham wide receiver, a a Holy Cross quarterback, whatever the MAC athletes, of course. Um, so I, I think I'm I'm interested to see how not only the big time players the um, the um, like like uh, the Clemson Clemson's quarterback probably will get an easy deal, but yeah. to see how these MAC athletes see all these group of five athletes take advantage of this. I agree, and I think something I was thinking about this earlier. I think something that I could see a lot of group of five like programs doing and like MAC programs doing. So MAC programs, you know, we we've been doing these interviews, learning about like the fan bases, and MAC programs are very ingrained into their the community, right? And so I feel like a lot of like, it's going to be a lot more of like on a local level, right? Where like local businesses, you know, local like car dealerships or, or whatever are going to, you know, ask, you know, ask, you know, the court, you know, ask Drew Plitt or something to be in a, you know, commercial or, or come to their store, sign some autographs, stuff like that. I think even at that small kind of community level, that could still make a big impact on the earning potential that these student athletes have. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And one funny thing I heard, I was listening to the um, I Am An Athlete podcast the other day 
and I was listening to the Deion Sanders episode and he mentioned, well, he didn't earn money out of being, he was, he was also a Florida State athlete, but he was also a amateur baseball player. So even though he couldn't earn money through the NCAA, he was still able to make money through his kind of baseball area, which was kind of kind of interesting because he got drafted. I, I forget what team, but the point remains is I think this is a right direction for the NCAA. I'm excited to see all the new, all the ways that these athletes implement. I know I saw T-shirts are already being put up for sale starting June 1st. I, I saw sneakers. Like, yeah. The potential is limitless. I think it's just up to the, the athletes to get their name out there. Like, Imagine how much money um, after that eight touchdown performance that um, uh, Jared Patterson would have got, or Jason Preston after being Virginia. Like, yeah, it, it's just it's just crazy to think about, and we'll have to see how this kind of rolls out moving forward. I agree. Very very curious to see how this uh, the the rollout of this goes. So certainly something that we will be monitoring moving forward, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it as as the season uh, approaches. Uh, let's move a little bit here. Let's let's talk some football here, Sam. There's um, a couple of things that I wanted to discuss or that we wanted to discuss here, and then we'll move in. We're going to do a little bit of uh, a segment on, you know, some breakout players and players to watch this year. But uh, some, some I guess, you know, if you want to call it gambling-related news as it relates to college football right now, I uh, we've talked about this before, Sam, but the and and it still baffles me. You know, a month or so ago, we did that segment about season win totals, and we, you and I both agreed we couldn't believe Buffalo had the highest season win total at eight and a half in the MAC. A month later, it doesn't seem like the bookmakers have adjusted anything. They they must know something that we don't know because now the MAC title odds are out, and Buffalo is still the 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 leader in the clubhouse right now at plus two hundred. Uh, Buffalo is, is the, the, you know, the, 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 um, the favorite, I guess, to, at the start of the season, Buffalo plus 200 ball state at plus 350. Sam, I don't know what we're missing. I don't know what the books know that we don't know, but this doesn't make sense to me. I, I'll just say this. I, I say this every year since I've been a ball state fan. So it's been three years of coming and I've told my brother this, I've told everybody this. The bookmakers know nothing about Mac. And if, if you're 21 and over and you want to make some great money, do Mac lines. Honestly, it doesn't have to be who's going to win the championship games. Just do individually because these Vegas odds makers don't watch enough Mac football, enough Mac basketball to know what they're talking about. This proves it with the Buffalo. They just saw what Buffalo did last year and immediately applied it to this year. And I, I think I agree with you. Like, agree with this person, Brad Powers tweeted. I have five teams power rated ahead of Buffalo. When I think about it, I at least have Ball State ahead of them. Maybe Toledo, maybe Central Michigan, definitely Western Michigan, and Kent State at least above yeah, them. I and agree. Yeah, that, that's just my kind of point of view. I, I think they're just a little bit outrageous. Plus yeah. 250 is good odds to make money, but I just don't think that they're going to win it. Like, there, I think Ball State, if anybody, would be the, the team that should be at the top. But even then, I'm not confident in Ball State to win it all. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, Sam, about not being confident in Ball State to win it all because it is tough to repeat for sure. But when I'm looking at this, I, I don't know how Ball State can't be the favorite. I mean, Ball State beat Buffalo last year handily in the conference championship game. They have 20 of 22 starters back from that team and Buffalo just lost their whole coaching staff and had, you know, 10 plus players transfer out. I can't understand in that scenario, just based on what I just said, based on those simple factors, I don't see how Buffalo is, is the leader right now at, at the beginning of the season. I think, I mean, I see, you know, Ball State at plus 350 looks good to me. Ohio at plus 750. Western Michigan at plus 1200. Kent State at plus 1400. I'm not one to bet futures very often, but there's some there's some really intriguing numbers here. I mean, to see Western Michigan at plus 1200 and Kent State at plus 1400, I think both of those teams have more talent than Buffalo. Maybe I'm crazy, but I really do think that. Yeah, I, I put a dollar on DraftKings, uh, Western Michigan. They had Western Michigan at plus 900. I wish I would have got plus 1,200 even more <laughs> the money there. But, yeah, the point remains is if you're, if you're max school, it, outside of I, – I, I still stand by my statement, five and seven. Buffalo has 
had some really good additions in the offseason, kind of recuperating from the amount of people who graduated, went to the draft, transferred out. They've had some good additions, but I'm still standing by my statement that they're going to be five and seven this year. And I don't think that they're going to be anywhere close to being in the MAC championship. And I could be very well wrong. And in his first year, they just turned this program around like it's nothing, but I just don't see that. No, I'm, I'm with you, Sam. I think, honestly, it's nothing against Coach Linguist and the new staff there. They just came into a tough situation. I think for me, I, I see Buffalo at best in like a, having like a, maybe a seven and five, six and six season and getting to a bowl game. But I don't see them. I don't see them competing for a MAC championship or going over that eight and a half wins. Um, I, I definitely don't see that. Um, some related news here. Um, the, a lot of the week one lines have been posted. And, um, you know, obviously every team in the MAC is in, in play in week one. Now, the, the games against FCS teams, those have not been posted yet. So, um, you know, Ball State taking on Western Illinois, uh, Toledo taking on Norfolk State, Buffalo taking on Wagner, and, um, and Eastern Michigan taking on St. Francis. We don't have lines for those games yet, but some of these other games, uh, you know, we've, we've got spreads now to take a look at, Sam. Yeah, I think the one interesting thing to me is Western Michigan plus 16 and a half versus Michigan. I think they can cover that. It, it's going to be a tough task keeping two touchdowns versus Michigan, but I think it's possible. And then Kent State plus 29 versus Texas A&M. We were talking about this off air. I think Kent State can put up the points with the best of them. I, I don't think they I, – I don't think you think that Kent State will necessarily win this matchup, but I think – 30 points yeah that's a lot for Kent State with their type of offense not to be able to at least keep within let's say three touchdowns I'm I'm with you Sam I mean even if Kent State's defense gives up 50 to Texas A&M which they could you're telling me Kent State's offense and Dustin Crumley's got to score three touchdowns in that game I'll take my chances um, so I'm with you there. I think Western Michigan with that offensive line and the talent they have coming back and also a lot of the questions surrounding Michigan right now, um, that's intriguing to me. Um, just to run, run down some of these other ones real quickly, we got Miami plus 21 versus Cincinnati uh, in the oldest rivalry in college football. We got Central Michigan plus 11 versus Missouri. Akron plus 34 versus Auburn. Northern Illinois plus 14 versus Georgia Tech. Bowling Green plus 30 at Tennessee. And then Ohio is actually a pick at home versus Syracuse. Um, I still expect I, – I know I picked Ohio to win that game. I still expected Syracuse to be favored, though. So that, that one surprised me a little bit. But I'm with you on Kent State. I'm with you on Western Michigan. The other one here that, that intrigues me a little bit is, is Miami. Um, I know Cincinnati has a great team and is going to have a good year. Miami has a lot of, lot of talent returning, though. We've talked about it on this podcast. Can they keep it within 21? Can they keep it within three touchdowns against Cincinnati? I would have to do a little bit more research on Cincinnati before I, I made a final decision on that. But Cincinnati doesn't necessarily strike me as a team that blows people out. They're more of a, a, a run the ball and play defense type of team. You know, Luke Fickle obviously coming over from Ohio State. I tend to think that the Red Hawks can keep that game within three touchdowns, but I also, I, I got to admit, I, I haven't done any research on Cincinnati. So I, my opinion on that could change. Yeah. And I think the one thing that is interesting, another game that's interesting for me is that Northern Illinois plus 14 matchup. I, I, I lean towards more Georgia tech. I know Northern Illinois has a new quarterback coming in and obviously that shows the faith that the bookmakers have in him, but I think Northern Illinois is still too young. I think Georgia Tech can can cover that. Georgia Tech's obviously not the best um, ACC opponent, but at the same time, I think Northern Illinois is a little bit too inexperienced. I like Northern Illinois as a whole, not as much as I say I like an Akron team, but I, I think Northern Illinois is a little bit too inexperienced for me. I know they have that four-star coming in, but I, I think plus 14 is a little bit, a little bit too much for this team. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Um, Georgia Tech is a team to me that is kind of on the rise. I think Jeff Collins down there is doing a very good job. 
building that program up. And, you know, this is a team that was three and six last year in the ACC. So they're certainly still not where they want to be. And they're having a tough transition going away from running that triple option for so many years under Paul Johnson and not having to move into a, more of a pro style offense. I do think, you know, they don't have a high powered offense. So I, I do, I could see Northern Illinois hanging with them. But yeah, I still think the youth of Northern Illinois, much like Akron, much like Bowling Green, a lot of these teams are still very young. And so to walk into a power five stadium in week one and ask them to compete with a, you know, with an ACC opponent, that's a tall task. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But um, yeah, I, I think that's what stands out to me from the lines. I mean, there, there's Central Michigan plus 11 versus Mizzou is tempting. But at the same time, I think that's too like on the edge for me to bet on that. Akron plus 34, I, I don't know on yeah. that one. Because Auburn obviously has a great offense. Akron showed flashes that time last year, but 35 points. Can they can they even put a put up a single touchdown against Auburn is the question I have in my mind. Yeah, I'm with you. And and for anyone out there um, that is is new to you know sports betting or betting on football, one other thing to understand here is that these these lines are not set in stone. So we, we got two months until college football starts, until these games are actually played. If all of the money, if to use Akron versus Auburn as an example, it opened up as Akron plus thirty four. If all the money comes in on Auburn, that could easily be plus 36 or plus 37 by the time this game kicks off on game day. So if you like, if there's any of these underdogs here that you'd be interested in betting, I would, I would consider holding off and seeing how the line changes. You might be able to get a couple of extra points here in a couple of weeks. You never know what's going to happen there. So let's, uh, let's Sam, let's move into our, our kind of um, breakout players or players to watch segment. You know, we wanted to take a look at the upcoming season and, and talk to you guys a little bit about some guys that we think are going to have big, big years. Um, so I'll let you start off, Sam. Who, who was your offensive player to watch this year? Yeah, I went with kind of with my Western Michigan prediction kind of comes full circle with this as well. Obviously, you lost Wayne Eskridge. You need to replace somebody. We obviously know the Broncos or Washington or Western Michigan W's, whatever you want to call them. Love to throw the football. <laughs> that was no question with Caleb Elby last year, including that touchdown against Toledo to beat them. Like, Western Michigan loves to throw the football. You're going to need to fill that void. And I think Sky Moore is the perfect person to fill that void. With his size, 5'9", 190, 25 catches for 388 yards a season to go for three touchdowns. And you might be saying to yourself, that's not a whole lot of production. But when you look at the full scale of what he did in 2019 when they had, had a full season, 802 yards, I think three touchdowns about the same amount they had this season. So obviously he has the potential to go for a close to a 1,000-yard season. He's a dynamic player. He's an electric player. I saw him play against Ball State. Him and Dwayne Eskridge in that first half just went ham against the Ball State offense, and then it kind of went downhill from there. But – I really like Sky Moore's potential in this offense. Caleb Elby, they clearly have chemistry together. Someone's going to need to fill the void. I think Sky Moore's that perfect person. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm with you here, Sam. I think uh, Sky Moore is a guy that I'm looking to have a big year, especially with Dwayne Eskridge leaving. You know, someone's going to have to fill that void there. This is a guy that averages 15 yards a catch in his career. I mean, this is a guy that has burners, can get down the field. He's a deep threat. Every time he gets the ball in his hand, He's, you know, he's liable to take it to the house. And, you know, like you mentioned, Sam, 800 yards as a freshman on 51 catches two years ago, um, you know, had a, had a nice year last year as well. It's a guy that um, I've, you know, I followed him for a long time. He's from Valley High School here in, in the suburban Pittsburgh area. So I remember him when he was in high school and he's always been that way. And um, yeah, you know, I think he's, he's kind of like that natural progression, that natural next step where you had Dwayne Eskridge, who was your number one. Sky Moore was a great number two. Now that Dwayne Eskridge has left, I think Sky Moore naturally is going to be able to step into that number one role for the Western Michigan offense. And so I'm excited to see what he's able to do this year. We'll see it. You know, if him having a big game week one against Michigan would certainly go a long way towards setting the tone for the, the Broncos season. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, who do you have for your offensive player to watch out for? 
Yeah, you know what? I'm actually, um, I, I'm going with someone who I've mentioned here before. I'm looking for this guy to have a little bit of a breakout season. I'm going with uh, Northern Illinois running back Harrison Whaley. Like I said, I've mentioned him before. You know, I was doing some research on Northern Illinois earlier and, you know, just reading about their spring practice and their spring wrap up and stuff like that. And uh, in the article I read where they interviewed coach Thomas Hammock after their last spring practice, he actually specifically singled out Harrison Whaley of how good of a spring he had and actually was saying things like, you know, he was breaking off 70 yard runs every day during spring. I think he's going to have a big year for us. Now, let me put this into context from last year, the Northern Illinois run game and offense in general was not good last year. Their, their run game, they were 113 yards a game last year. That's 11th in the Mac. Despite all the youth on the offensive line, though, Whaley actually finished eighth in the conference in terms of rushing yards. He had 107 carries for 456 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. Given the, the struggles that the O-line had, um, you know, 4.3 yards per carry, I'll take that every day. Now, that, that young offensive line from last year, they have four starters back this year. So kind of the, the youth movement from last year, we're seeing some development here. If that offensive line can grow a little bit and, and you know, give him some better protection and, and, you know, block a little bit better for him, I think Harrison Whaley is going to have a big year. I could see him, you know, being like a, you know, a second team all-Mac guy at the end of this season. Yeah, no doubt. I think one of the things that Mac puts out great in its running backs, you think Caleb Huntley, you think Demontre Tuggle, you think Tion Dollar, you think Kevin Marks this season, Jared Patterson from last season. So with Harrison Whaley competing against all those guys being eighth in the conference, that's not a disrespect to him at all. The competition was just that great last season. And with a lot of guys being gone from last season, you got at least Patterson and Huntley gone from last season. You, you at least bump up two spots right there. So he's at least, in my mind, going to be top five. And, and with Northern Illinois kind of figuring out their offense, not really sure where they're going to go with the, the transfer quarterback, I think Harrison Whaley could be a nice part of that. Tyrese Ritchie is a nice um, receiver. Now they've got a nice running back to complement that offense. Uh, you mentioned the four stars back on the O-line. We mentioned – I don't know how many times we've mentioned Northern Illinois' inexperience, but they're getting better each year. I expect them to be even better, more experienced under the belt. Six games isn't a whole lot, but I think we over the stretch of 12 games, even if he doesn't perform well in the first four in non-conference conference, I, I think this offense will be will be at its close to full potential. I'm with you. I'm with you. So I'm I'm really intrigued to see how. Um, you know, how Northern Illinois season plays out this year. You know, we mentioned that game on the road against Georgia Tech week one. We'll, we'll, that, we'll, we'll definitely know a little bit more after that. Um, let's, let's look at the defensive side of the ball, Sam. Who do you see having a breakout year on defense? Yeah, I, I went with somebody a little bit different. Um, you went with a uh, fellow Eastern Michigan guy like I did. I was, I was surprised by the, the kind of the contribution and production he had in such a limited time frame and for me it's terrain rush four and a half sacks in six games almost beating his previous year of five sacks in 12 games another year of experience under his belt I don't see why if he can't keep up that current production six seven sacks this year I think both of us see Eastern Michigan putting up a lot of points really fast with that RPO offense so I think Eastern Michigan's defense is going to be on the field last year we didn't really talk about Eastern Michigan's defense a whole lot last year, or really many defenses last year to step up. But I think defensive corners will be able to step up from a year ago because as good as these offenses are, you're going to be able to figure some things out. And I think that starts on the defensive line. We saw Central Michigan's defensive line just have a field day last year, even in six games. So it, with Terrain's rush production, we didn't hear all, a whole lot about him. But I think in 12 games, you'll hear a lot of this guy coming out of the Yips landing. I think this is a great pick, Sam. I think this is a great pick. I think if Eastern Michigan wants to have a good season this year, if they want any type of success this year, it's got to start with improvement on their defense. Um, I, th I think you and I were probably thinking the same thing when we made these picks, because these are all stats I was going to talk about whenever I talk about my guy here. Um, they were eighth in the conference in points per game allowed, eighth in pass defense, 10th in rush defense, 11th in total defense. I mean, this is a team that gave up over 500 yards a game on average last year. 
Teran Rush on the D-line is going to have to be uh, more of a presence He's, even then. He was the leader of the D-line last year, but he's going to have to step up his game even a little bit more this year if they want to have any type of success. I think, you know, we, you talk about the offense, Preston Hutchinson and um, Hassan Badoon and, and, you know, uh, Connor New and those wide receivers, they have a lot of firepower on offense. They're going to be able to score. They can't give up 35 points a game this year, though, if they want to get back to a bowl game. So I think this is a great, great choice by you, Sam. I think Teran Rush, um, he has a lot on his shoulders with this D-line for Eastern Michigan this year. And I think if he's going to have a successful season, then this defense is going to improve. And I think Eastern Michigan's chances of getting back to a bowl game are good. Yeah, I agree. And who did who did you have on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, so I, you know, I like I said, I think you and I were thinking similarly here about how Eastern Michigan needs to get better on defense. I my guy is actually a transfer into Eastern Michigan. I'm going with um, uh, free safety Jarrett Paul. This is a guy who transferred in from Rutgers. So I know Rutgers hasn't been very good the last couple of years. But still, to get a, uh, a, um, a former three-star recruit from a Big Ten program, I think, is a, is a big deal for Eastern Michigan. He didn't play last year for Rutgers. He, uh, you know, he sat out the season due to COVID. But um, two years ago in 2019, as a sophomore, he started eight games at free safety for the Scarlet Knights and recorded 45 tackles that year. Um, and, you know, this is a guy, this is a secondary last year that struggled. Like I said, they were eighth in the conference in pass defense. And just in general, this defense struggled 35 points a game, 500 yards total. Um, so I think that any help they can get on the defensive side of the ball, any reinforcement they can have is going to be welcome. And to get a guy like Jared Paul, who comes in as a, after having been a proven starter in the big 10 at Rutgers, I think this is a guy that's going to come in and make an immediate impact on this team. And I think having him on the back end, uh, not getting beat over the top like we saw them happen to Eastern Michigan last year. I think this is going to be a big improvement for the Eagles. Yeah, I'm with you. And one thing I point I want to point out wh- while looking at his stats, he's six foot two, thirteen, and I don't see why in this day of age, when you really have a safety linebacker combo, you couldn't with this defense. You're trying to switch things up. Obviously, different thing. The things that you tried last year didn't work. Why you can't have him kind of roam like we've seen with all the hybrid linebackers. I mean, Jer- Jeremiah Wusu Komoroa comes to mind immediately. He got drafted for that type of same way. And I'm looking at Rugger's roster, and their their linebacker is um, – I'm looking at his – he's 6'2", 240. You've got a guy of similar size who not only do you have a piece that can play at safety – linebacker maybe even slot cornerback I think like you said this is a nice guy who's looking for some playing time didn't get at Rutgers but I don't see why if you're the Eastern Michigan defensive coordinator you don't put him all over the field because any any spot you can fill with Jared Paul is a a great spot that you can fill immediately if you need a linebacker put him there if you need safety I'll put him there I I think this is a nice um, addition for that Eastern Michigan defense. I agree completely, Sam. I think in, in today's day and age on defense, you got to have guys that can play multiple positions like that. And I think you're exactly right with that frame and his athletic ability, he's going to be able to come up and help in the run game and, and, you know, play linebacker if he needs to and drop back in coverage, or he can cover someone in the slot. He can do all of these things. It's that versatility that he's going to bring that I think is going to really help the Eastern Michigan defense. So, um, so again, my, my offensive player, I went with Harrison Whaley running back from Northern Illinois and then Jarrett Paul on defense from Eastern Michigan. Uh, Sam went with Sky Moore from Western Michigan on offense, the wide receiver, and then Teran Rush, the DN from Eastern Michigan for his defensive player. I tell you what, Sam, we've been talking about football these last couple of weeks here. It's, I'm ready for these games to start. Yeah, I, I'm with you. We're only a couple months away, which seems hard to believe, but it can't come soon enough, honestly. I'm tired of spring ball and spring practice. Let's bring in the real competition. I'm ready to see some up that upsets and don't worry, people. I won't make any more FCS comments from here on out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Some Toledo fans were a little bit upset about that one. We were, we were kidding. We were kidding guys. We don't think Toledo is going to lose to Norfolk state. I just um, threw out there as a joke as a possibility, but it, doesn't <laughs> mean it can't happen. That's my last words. Yeah. On topic. yeah there you go. Um, last, so to close out the show here tonight, guys, we're going to bring in our, continue our, why are you a fan segment? We have fellow hustle belter, Dave Drury, uh, Northern Illinois alum and huge fan. 
Um, you can check out, actually, he just put out an article earlier this week uh, the, the previewing the Northern Illinois O-line for this upcoming season. So we'll bring him in to talk a little bit about uh, the Northern Illinois fan base, uh, you know, what it's like, what they think of Thomas Hammock, some stuff like that. So uh, on the other side of this commercial break here, we'll be right back and we'll have uh, Dave in to talk some Northern Illinois Huskies. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, on this next segment here, we're going to be continuing, as I said before the break, continuing our Why Are You a Fan segment. And joining us tonight, uh, I should say joining me tonight, um, we have a fellow hustle belter, Dave Drury, who is a uh, Chicago native, Northern Illinois alum, and huge super fan. And as I mentioned, uh, he is uh, a fellow contributor on the Hustle Belt. You can go see his latest work on the site right now, where Dave did a, a breakdown of the current O-line situation at Northern Illinois. Dave, thanks for, so much for joining me tonight, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to awesome. be here, finally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you on, and thanks for taking some time. Um, so we, I want to start this conversation out just with kind of a high level perspective. I'll keep it simple here. How, how did you become an NIU fan? I know you're an alum of the school. Were you a fan before that, or was it getting the application process and actually attending that got you to be a fan? So my mom originally went to NIU back in 1968. So, uh, okay. long history, uh, my brother and sister went there as well, um, in the mid nineties, but what really got me was the 2002 and 2003 football teams. Um, I didn't even have cable at the time, so I had to go to my sister's house to watch the games. Uh, <laughs> but Michael Turner and then the interception by Randy Drew uh, against Maryland, that that sealed the deal. And I was like, I'm going there. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Right right as like the, the Joe Novak era was starting to catch some momentum. Yeah. Um, yeah, really cool. I actually, I remember being a young kid in 2002. That was the year they beat Maryland and Bama, right? No, that was three. 2002, uh, they went eight and four. They beat like Wake Forest. Uh, okay. Second, um, you know, that's the uh, PJ Fleck heydays. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that one really started to, to pay attention. But then Maryland was the opening game of 2003. And then that just cemented it from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that was certainly a, a great time for, for Northern Illinois football. I wanted to I wanted to ask you. Northern Illinois is kind of unique in the MAC, right? Where it's a MAC school in a major media market. And I'm curious about like NIU's place within the Chicago sports landscape because, you know, we were talking before we started recording here. You know, I hear, I'm here in Pittsburgh, which like Chicago, it's a pro sports town. Sometimes the sports teams from Pitt and Duquesne and Robert Morris and the other universities around here, they kind of get lost in the shuffle. Where would you put Northern Illinois within like the hierarchy of Chicago sports? Uh, you know, it, it sucks, but it's definitely kind of towards the bottom. Uh, you get a lot of Notre Dame in Chicago. Uh, wow. And then you're going to have U of I second. Uh, but you have Northwestern claiming to be uh, Chicago's Big Ten team, even though, you know, we've beaten them in the last, you know, five years. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, unfortunately you, you, you should start to see a bigger imprint, but uh, you know, growing up, you really didn't see too much of it. You know, even when I graduated high school, most people went to U of I or, or Iowa before NIU, but uh, over the last 10 years, they've done, they've done a better job of getting out there and, and, you know, pushing yeah. that. So. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough market. There's so much comp competition in, in Chicago, so much. And, and, you know, like the Big Ten runs so deep there and Notre Dame, too. So I, I, I certainly uh, I, I can see uh, I can I can see the struggle that Northern Illinois would have there locally. Um, so a lot of folks, when a lot of Mac fans think about Northern Illinois, they would consider, I would think, Northern Illinois to be a football school. Right. It's, there's oh. been a lot of success in football here over Not the last 20 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go, you go back to Joe Novak, to Jerry Kill, to Dave Doran, all these coaches that have had great runs of success with the Huskies. What is the culture like and the feeling like around the football program right now with fans able to come back in the stands this year? What's kind of the atmosphere like on game day at Husky Stadium? Uh, well, I always like to say there's uh, cautious optimism with whoever we play, you know, uh, the fans that, that, that show up are, are hardcore fans. You know what I mean? That like, uh, sure. there's not a lot of fair weather NIU fans, you know? Um, I mean, the stadium, like, the stadium with the students, maybe more so, you know, like the, uh, but 
the 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 west side of the stadium where all the alums sit like those are hardcore you know you're not getting rid of them so that that atmosphere is amazing you know uh, and again, you know, we, we had a young team last year, so I feel like this year we're just going to progress from there. You know, I mean, we started what 70% of our roster was freshmen last year. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of hope looking forward. Um, and we, we have a tough schedule this year, but I think, I think we can win some games that, you know, we aren't supposed to on paper per se. Sure. And um, you, you led me perfectly into my, my next question here, which, very, very curious to hear about, you know, you mentioned kind of cautious optimism around the team right now. How does the, the, the fan base feel about Thomas Hammock? Obviously, you know, he's an alum, played at Northern Illinois back in the, uh, the Joe Novak days. He comes back in after, um, after Rod Carey left for, for Temple. Obviously, it seems like last year was kind of like a tear it down and rebuild type of situation. Um, has, has there been sufficient progress you think in rebuilding the roster this offseason or generally speaking what what's the feeling around the fan base right now towards coach hammock i think there's a lot of 50 50 with him you know i i i'm on the side that believes you know last year was uh like not a not a great year you know what i mean like we forget about last year we're coming into this year you know what i mean sure Uh, uh, I'm not going to hold that against him or the, or the, the program, you know, um, he, he was trying to build those young players into the next two, three years. So um, I I'm on the, the positive side of, I think, you know, he's, he's recruiting really well um, and that's going to eventually pay off. Um, I know there are some, a lot of NIU fans that are, what have you done for me lately? And, and let's get there now. Uh, but for the most part, I think, you know, uh, you can't hold last year against him. I mean, it was a, it was a crazy, crazy year altogether. So we got to just hope that the, his coaching has led his, has led these young guys to progress this year and we'll, and we'll go from there. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, we, Sam and I have talked about this on the pod. There is some, some good talent, you know, coming, coming back this yeah. year for the Huskies. I wanted to ask you about the quarterback situation. Is it look like, I mean, from the outside looking in, it seems like Rocky Lombardi is going to be the guy, the transfer from Michigan state. Is there anyone else on the roster that you see, you know, challenging him for that spot? So, I mean, Dustin Fletcher has been the name that's been, been tossed around. Um, but, you know, outside, you know, with Ross Bowers gone, the Huskies don't have a, a returning starting quarterback that's attempted to pass. Um, yeah. So, I honestly, I think you're going to see Lombardi get the, get the nod. Um, and if he struggles, we'll move to, to, to Fletcher, who's a more dual threat kind of guy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It seems like most teams have, have two quarterbacks they're going to sprinkle in anyway. So we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. see how that goes. Um, I wanted to ask you also about, so talked a lot about football here and, and, you know, NIU definitely viewed as a football school. I, I was curious to get your thoughts also as an alum and as a fan, uh, you know, the feeling around the, the men's and women's basketball programs at Northern Illinois as well, because when you think of all the success that Northern Illinois has had on the football field, that hasn't necessarily transferred onto the hardwood. You look at the, the men's basketball team, haven't been to the NCAA tournament since 96, the women's team since 95. Um, how does the fan base at you know northern illinois feel about basketball is there any any thoughts you have on the new uh hire on the men's side with with rashawn burno coming in so unfortunately you know getting fans to the convocation center has been an issue since you know before i was there um you know when 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 i would go to the games it would be me my group of five six friends and then like 40 other people at the stadium you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it, it was it's unfortunate because uh, the Convocation Center is a really nice place. Um, and I hear they serve alcohol now, which makes it even better. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, it's, I wish it was, I wish it was better, but you know, we just haven't had, we, you know, in, in 2019, 2020, we had the chance to make the, or make a good run in the, in the Mac tourney and that got canceled. Yeah. But outside of that, I, I don't think we'd won more than 10 games in a season since 2005. So it, it's yeah not not the greatest unfortunately yeah but, yeah is there a sense do you feel I mean you think about college or I'm sorry high school basketball Chicago gets talked about all the time as being one of the best high school basketball hotbeds in the country yeah. 
you got uh, Rashawn Berno coming in now, obviously played at DePaul back in the day, back in the early 2000s when DePaul was actually relevant. Um, do you do you think him having local connections and being able to recruit the Chicagoland area, do you think, does that give you a sense of optimism? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's been one of the things that NIU basketball has been trying to do for, for years and years is get into that Chicago market. But I mean, like I said, you've got the Notre Dame, but in basketball, you also have like UIC was, was really good back in the mid nineties. You have like uh, yeah. Bradley was good for a couple of years. You know what I mean? Southern Illinois uh, used to be a, a pretty strong team. So there's a lot of, of good schools in Illinois that was able to kind of dilute the talent that went to NIU. So hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to get back into that Chicago market. Yeah, that's something that I'll be really curious to watch here over the next few years, see how he's able to do on on the uh, on the recruiting trail. What about I I always like to ask about the kind of the non revenue or Olympic sports as well at Northern Illinois. Is is there any like underappreciated program that doesn't get a lot of credit that, that you feel like should get a little bit more recognition than that what they get? The women's volleyball team has, has been good for, for quite a few years now. Um, so yeah, that one, that one definitely is up there. Uh, and I think I'm pretty sure tennis did pretty well this year. Uh, if I'm being honest, I don't remember the exact, uh, record, but I'm pretty sure tennis went, went far as well. And I know we just won like the Mac and cross country too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those would those would be the three that I would say are are your your best of the the rest kind of. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I yeah. I, we we uh we covered the um the women's volleyball team a bit a few a few months ago when their season was going on and uh, yeah they they definitely had a good year. Um, I I'm curious. Last couple questions here for you, Dave. Um, first things first. Curious about DeKalb as a college town. What what was it like being there? Did you live on campus or or in the town when you were there for your four yeah. years? And, and how would you describe the atmosphere at, in DeKalb? So I I really enjoyed my time. Uh, I did two years in the dorms and then uh, had a townhouse for two years. Um, you know the there there were actually more uh, bars and stuff back when I went there than there are now. A few of the the staples have actually closed since then, um, mm-hmm. but you know, Fatty's is an amazing place. If you ever go to DeKalb, no matter when, stop at Fatty's. It's right by the football stadium. They have great food, awesome beer, um, just overall best place to go. Uh, Molly's is another good one. Um, that's a, they just got a new building probably like four or five years ago, I think it was. And the new space is awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I think the places that are still there are great. Um, and, and tailgating is always fun. You know, it's, it's, it's a great place to tailgate a lot of, a lot of fun people. Um, but yeah, I mean, non-game day wise, it's, you know, it's, it's all right. It's not the best, but luckily Chicago is nearby. So you don't really, yeah. you know, how, how far actually like to drive from DeKalb to Chicago? What, what would that drive be? Is it under an hour? No, it's a little bit more than an hour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you're in your answer there, you kind of partially answered both of my next two questions. I'll start with this one. You mentioned a couple restaurants there, Fatties and Molly's. Yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm in DeKalb for a Northern Illinois game and I stopped fat at Fatties after the game, what's, what's the go-to order? Like what's, what's the kind of the signature thing that you go for there? Cajun potato salad. It's the best potato salad. I hated potato salad until I had it. It's just so good. Wow. I, you know, I ask a lot of people that question in these interviews and it's always like some type of wings or burgers or pizza. I've never had anyone say potato salad. That's really interesting. I, I, you know what though? That's unique. I'll remember it now. (laughs) It's it's more of a side, but it's so good. I mean, like last time I went with my friend she got a gallon of it to go because like you just, you have to have it. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. I, I, I hear you. Cool. I'll, I'll keep that in my mind. If I'm ever in DeKalb, I'll, I'll give that a shot. You also, you mentioned tailgating. I wanted to hear about kind of the tailgating scene in DeKalb for, you know, Northern Illinois, it's homecoming weekend or a big game. Um, what, what's it like on, on game day in and around the stadium with, with the tailgating? So, I mean, what's nice about Husky Stadium is there's a, a huge field right by the entrance that holds all the, all the tailgating, basically, on both sides, but uh, definitely on, on, the, on the west side, excuse me, on the east side. Um, is uh is where the like the student tailgating section is and there's you know 500 trucks you know barbecues galore you know loud music it's uh it's 
it's a, it's a real fun setup. You know, I just walk in between each of these different groups, you know, I mean, rowdy, but fun. Awesome. Awesome. Um, last, last question I have for you before I let you go here, Dave, um, more pertaining to the, the hustle belt. So anyone who follows hustle belt, they know, uh, Dave publishes our weekly beer review, the belts beer garden on the hustle belt. So I got to ask Dave, any good beers you've tried lately that you can recommend any good craft brews or anything you've come across recently that surprised you? Are we, uh, are we, do you want just like Chicago or do you want nationwide? Because uh, any, it can be, it can be anything. If it's, if it, whether or not it's local to Chicago is fine with me. So uh, Nashville has this brewery called Southern Grist and everything they do is amazing. Um, amazing sours, stouts, IPAs. Their mixed green series is one of the best hazy IPAs I've ever had. Mm. Um, the other one that I love more New England, but uh, uh, Maine Beer Company uh, up in Freeport, Maine. Sure. Awesome for like your old school type of beers, you know, West Coast IPAs, uh, the stouts, uh, just awesome up there. So cool. those two are my big ones. And then in Chicago, Maplewood is the brewery to go to for me. Um, okay. There, if you like IPAs, they've got a bunch of different different varieties and they're all great. So those Good are are, do IPAs tend to be your go-to? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, if you if you read Belt Beer Garden, you know, it, those those dominate. But yeah, I feel like you can do so much with hops that you know I, I like to to see what they can come up with next. So yeah, for sure. I uh, I have heard of Southern Grist. I've never tried it though. I'll have to give that a shot. I don't think I've ever seen any main beer company beer around here, but I'll, I'll have to look that up. Um, Good recommendations as always. And like I said, anyone that's uh, interested in hearing more about uh, Dave's thoughts on beer, every it's, it's every Friday that article comes out, right? Yeah, 5 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Dave, I won't take up any more of your time, man. I appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us tonight, as I'm sure that the audience does as well. Everyone, once again, he is uh, fellow Hustle Belter Dave Drury. You can follow him on Twitter at ddrury86. You can also find his... Uh, his weekly uh, Belts Beer Garden column on hustlebelt.com. Dave, thanks so much for uh, stopping by tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, really nice talking to you, man. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. And that's going to wrap up this episode, episode 52 of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. Thanks to Dave Jury for stopping by. Follow him on Twitter if you're not already and go check out his, uh, his article, uh, his coverage of Northern Illinois on the Hustle Belt site. Sam, any uh, any final thoughts for the people here tonight? Uh, no, it's just been wild to think it's been it's been a year so far. It's flying by. This time next year, I should be already graduated. Uh, here's to 50, 52 more episodes. It's just it's just unbelievable. It really is unbelievable, and uh, we'll see your 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 Hawks futures bet just keep staying alive. Just keep staying alive. We'll see what we'll see what happens here. Uh, and the rest of these Eastern Conference Finals. You got to be feeling pretty good about that, though. I I do. The only thing I'm worried about, even if we beat the the, the Bucks, is we have to go play the either the Suns or Clippers. I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning more towards the Clippers, but if the Hawks get up three one. You know how the Clippers do. They may they may even come back from three one in this series. So yeah. who knows? <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens there. It's going to be an interesting uh, end to the NBA season. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Thanks for stopping by again this week, folks. Thanks for all the support over this past year. We made it to 52. Like Sam said, here's the 52 more. He is Sam Thillman. I am Zach Follador. This has been another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week.